stuff and God's in process growing us up and I know that the church can be messy believe me I know I got full-time job of how messy church life can be but you know what there's really no other place to be a Christian either because God saves us from our sins into a community that's learning and growing that's not what it used to be it's also not what it's going to be Some days, you don't even have to get out of bed in the morning to be reminded that people aren't perfect, yourself included. Today on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel reminds you that the church is messy because it's filled with messy people. But he shares that God is in the process of growing us up. You begin a relationship with God, you're brought into a community that is learning, growing together, being transformed day by day. Let's join Pastor Daniel in Numbers chapter 24 as he continues his message, The Way of Balaam. Do you have eyes to see and ears to hear? Have you allowed God to open your eyes? Because I believe that God wants to give us life. He wants us to be able to see with clarity through the goggles of his spirit. I'm here to tell you, when the spirit of God enters your life, that is 2020 vision on the way things really are. How often have we been blinded, not realizing our prescriptions way off? We're viewing things seriously wrong. In a lot of ways, that's why I do those two-minute messages. I do them for me as much as for everybody else. Because I need to constantly be reminding myself and us of what God is doing and who he is and how we're supposed to see things. Because I realize in a messy world, we have a tendency to look through glasses that are blurry. We don't see things quite clearly unless we're perpetually reminded of what's going on. And Balaam, look, my eyes are open. Verse four, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and sees the vision of the Almighty who falls down with eyes wide open. Now, you know what's amazing about this? He says he just saw a vision of the Almighty. What did Balaam actually see? He saw the children of Israel. Now, you fast forward that into the New Testament. It talks about how the church, the people of God, from every tribe, nation, and tongue, brought together as a family of faith because of Jesus. It's something that's schooling angels into the ways of God. Like when the angels who God created see the people of God, the church, not the building, the church, but the interconnected people from all over the place, from all different backgrounds who all are one in Christ, the angels are actually getting a lesson, an object lesson in who God is. Do you realize that the church of Jesus Christ, the church with a big C, all the true followers of Jesus, wherever they find themselves in whatever style they worship in, that that is a vision of the Almighty. We don't often think about church that way. 
We don't often think that when people look upon the people of God, they're actually seeing a vision of God's ways because the way things ought to be is that people, no matter their history, no matter their background, no matter their gender, no matter their educational status, how much money they do or don't make, how either squeaky clean their history was or completely trashed their history was, in Christ we become one family across every line that divides people. That, my friends, is a vision of God. People coming together. We don't often think about church that way, right? We think about it, well, I'll go there if the Seahawks aren't on early or something. But the people of God is a vision of who, it's God's family at work in a broken world. I remember, and some of you guys know some of my story. I mean, I didn't grow up in the church, and so, and I had lots of church hangups, especially after my mom passed away, you know? The way that the priest handled that whole thing was just, it was like a textbook on how not to care for a family in, in grief, you know? And I remember when I first got saved, I wouldn't go to church. Like, I was like, I had someone like, man, you should go to church. I'm like, yeah, right. But then I started reading the Bible. And I started realizing that American culture says you could be a lone ranger and you could do well. But there's really no such thing as a part of God's body that's actually detached from the body. I mean, think about it. Your eyes are good in your skull attached to all the stuff. But an eyeball sitting in a jar of formaldehyde on a shelf is gross. It can't do what it's meant to do. It's meant to be attached to the body. Right? And people of God are meant to be attached to a community. Now, don't get me wrong. I get that the church is pretty messed up. And as I always tell people, I'm like, look, if you think Crossroads is the perfect church, don't join it. Because you'll mess it up. And people kind of look at it. I'm like, we all have stuff. There's not... The only person who has no issues in church is Jesus. All the rest of us got stuff. We got histories, we got hangups, we got issues, we got hurt, we got this, we got all this stuff. And God's in process growing us up. And I know that the church can be messy. Believe me, I know. I got full-time job of how messy church life can be. But you know what? There's really no other place to be a Christian either. Because God saves us from our sins into a community that's learning and growing. That's not what it used to be. It's also not what it's going to be. Lord willing, it's moving in the right direction. His vision that he sees is actually the children of Israel. These people that God has called to be his own people. And he's like, man, I've seen a vision of God. My eyes have been open. Now, in verse 5, he's just praising the children of Israel. How lovely are your tents, your dwellings. Now, talk about a perspective shift. These guys have been slaves in Egypt, and they've been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. So I'm here to tell you that their tents and their dwellings were not like the brand new North Face stuff. Like, this stuff was pretty messed up. I mean, it's well-worn. It's not like someone's got... I had a friend. You know what it's like when you start going camping with your buddies? Like, you always, I want my one friend, Jeremy, super great guy. He loves gear. So when we decided to go camping, he got the Taj Mahal tent. This thing had like a porch and everything, and we were backpacking. Thing fit in this little thing. I was like, it was totally cool. I'm like, where's the jacuzzi with this thing? 
You know, it's like, they didn't have that type of tent. It wasn't like Balaam was like, wow, look at the decor. It's like, they've been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. But remember what I said? The goggles of the spirit. When your eyes are opened, you realize you could have the old, most beat up, mangled tent. Your life could be so mangled. But if God is in the midst of your mangled mess, it's the most beautiful place in the world. And my friends, so often we're so busy looking at what we don't have. And everything about our culture says, you got to see what you don't have. And this is bad. And every bit of advertising is, we're going to give, you need to buy this because this is what you don't have. Right? So, you know, you need to buy this thing because it'll help you get rid of your mustache. You got to buy this thing because you can't have wrinkles. God forbid. You know what I mean? You got to buy this thing because the shoe, you know, think about all the different styles of shoes that have gone in and out. Think of, in like the last 10 years. How many of you guys remember when they had those shoes? We had to, you could blow them up. You had a little ball on the front. Anybody rocking those these days? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. But you need a new shoe. You, know, you, get, you get the shoe with the little air pockets in it. You can jump really high. So everything about our culture is aimed to show you what you don't have. But the beauty is, is that if you got Jesus, you actually have everything. It doesn't matter how shabby it looks. Balaam is boasting about the tents and the dwellings of the children of Israel. And then he he starts using this poetic language, this symbolic language, like gardens by the riverside. That sounds nice, right? Like aloes planted by the Lord. That's some divine aloe vera or whatever. Cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters. Now think about this. This was a culture that either they tended to cattle or they planted. It was an agricultural culture. So all of these things are signs of abundance in that culture. Like for us, this would be like infinite strip malls of free Costco. Like that's the equivalent of this. Like imagine if everyone can go to Costco, take whatever they want. Like, you know what I mean? Where everything's free and you have everything you could ever need. That's the picture he's painting. He's like, look, these people, they got everything. There's gardens by the river. There's aloe. There are buckets of water. I mean, it's an arid desert land. And there's seed everywhere. He's saying, look, these people are blessed to abundance. They have everything they could ever need. Not only that, his king shall be higher than Agag. Now, this is interesting because Agag was the first king that the children of Israel defeated in 1 Samuel 15. So in some ways, I'm wondering if there was a previous Agag who Balaam knew, we don't know, or it could be prophetic, literally speaking about how Saul defeated King Agag of the Amalekites. But he's saying, look, his king is higher, his kingdom is more exalted. And then he starts using this metaphor in verse 8 about how his strength is like a wild ox. And then he goes, he bows down and he lies down as a lion in verse 9, as a lion, and who can rouse him? Now, a wild ox and a lion in the wilderness were two of the strongest. They were at the top of the food chain. So not only is Balaam prophesying about their blessings and the abundance of God's blessing in their life, but also their absolute strength. Like you can imagine, if, if you're on safari and you're just walking, you don't have a gun or anything, and you see a lion... What are you? Freaked out, right? And the lion sees you and says, mmm, snack, right? 
the lion and the safari. Like, you do not want to. I remember the first time I walked into a bear when I was hiking. I was terrified. Now, you might say it's a black bear. I don't know. He was just a lot bigger than me, you know? And it was like, you're scared. Cause I, I wasn't, I didn't have like a gun or anything. I was with a friend of mine. I'm like, oh no, we are completely outmatched right here. And that's the picture, a wild ox or a lion. It's like, man, they're strong. And this prophecy is so overwhelming that Balak gets literally mad. In verse 10, he strikes his hands together. It's, you gotta love Balak. He's like a parent. He's like, stop out of it. That's what he, like, you parents know what it's like, right? How many of your dads used to slam the kitchen table when they got upset? Yeah, it's like a dad thing, right? We used to get in trouble. My dad would be like, enough. You know, you look around, you eat your peas. Like, that's what Balak does. He's so angry. Stop out of it. Stop. And he says to him, look, I brought you here to curse them, and you have blessed them these three times. Bountifully blessed them. Now he's like, listen, in verse 11, flee to your place. I said I will greatly honor you, but the Lord has kept you back. Now, isn't that a subtle thing? He's like, look, I was going to bless you, and the Lord has kept you back from the blessings I wanted to give you. Isn't that the exact way that the serpent tempted Eve in the garden? Really, the serpent's temptation was God doesn't want to give you the best. And my friends, this lie still is happening. And I'm sure in many of our hearts right now, the serpent is saying, the devil is saying to you, listen, just do what you want to do. God doesn't really love you. He doesn't want to give you the best. He wants to hold out the good stuff on you. And that's the way temptation works. It's saying, God does not really love you. God just is playing with you. And Balaam, the reason he's there is to get paid. And this guy's saying, listen, you know what? I was going to honor you. Guess what? The Lord ain't letting you get honored. And what's amazing about this, I don't want to give away the next chapter, but Balaam can't curse them, but he actually gives Balak a way to conquer the children of Israel. But we'll get to that. Everyone's reading ahead. Don't read ahead. No, read ahead later. I want you to read ahead. Just not right now. Don't think for one second. Don't think for one second that the wages of iniquity is a blessing. Don't think for one second that when you, as a follower of Jesus, choose not to cut corners and it makes you get ahead slower, that that is a bad thing. Our world says cut every corner you need to because it's about getting what you want. And our Bible said, no, no, no. You do God's work God's way, and God will take care of it. Don't believe the lie that God doesn't love you and is holding out on you. I don't know how many young people I talk to about this as it relates to personal purity. I say, listen, don't give away what God has said is sacred. Don't believe the lie of our culture that you're just a body. Don't believe that stuff. God's got a great, but Satan comes like, oh, it's fun. It feels good. It feels, I feel close. No, listen, that's not something that's cheap. God has a plan in it. But for too many of us, we hear that lie. God just doesn't really care about you. It's too hard. If God really knew, he wouldn't have said that stuff. No, God loves you too much to let you hurt yourself. And we need to be smart enough to listen. 
but don't believe this lie. But it's interesting because Balaam, when he hears this in verse 12, did I not also speak to your messengers? If Balak were to give me a house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will, what the Lord says that I must speak. And now indeed, I'm going to my people. Come and I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. And then we hit the fourth prophecy. So really, Balak says, you better get out of here. And he says, I will. But before I do, let me tell you one more thing. Look what he says, verse 15. So he took up his oracle and said, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. Verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also, his enemies shall be a possession. While Israel does valiantly out of Jacob, one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. And then he looked at Amalek, and he took up his oracle and said, Amalek, the first among the nations, but shall be last until he perishes. He looked on the Canaanites, and he took up his oracle and said, firm in your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Asher carries you away captive? Then he took up his oracle and said, alas, who shall live When God does this, but ships shall come from the coasts of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Ashur and afflict Eber, and so shall Amalek until he perishes. And so Balak rose and departed and returned to his place, and Balak went his way. So you notice in verse 15 and 16, he has the same introduction. And the first part of this, of course, is a messianic prophecy, where this is a foretelling, a talking beforehand about Jesus. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter or a ruler shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of the tumult. Now, this, of course, is speaking about the coming ruler, the king of kings, the king of the Jews, the one who Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Jesus will defeat his enemies. Now, you have to realize that in Jesus' two comings, Jesus defeats all enemies. In his first coming, he defeats the enemy of all people, which is the sin nature. That's why Jesus came in his first coming, not to set up a physical kingdom, but to set up a spiritual kingdom that has physical impact to conquer sin and death. But there's a time when Jesus is going to return just the way he came on the clouds when he's going to conquer the physical enemies of God. And so we see this quite clearly here. The idea of the star. In Isaiah 14, verse 12, it talks about the day star. In Revelation twenty-two sixteen, Jesus, the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So Jesus as a star, the idea, of course, of the scepter is the ruling hand of a ruler. 
So all of this is a messianic prophecy. And then from there, we find out a series of different things where Edom shall be a possession, Seir also his enemies shall be a possession, while Israel does valiantly out of Jacob, one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. So again, we have this idea that Edom, remember the Edomites were the descendants of Esau. They lived on Mount Seir, and Esau was the twin brother of Jacob. If you were with us now many moons ago, when we were in the book of Genesis. So we have that. And then you have these three kind of quick prophecies as we close on out. So Balaam does something unexpectedly here where he deals with the fate of a few other nations. We have Amalek of the Amalekites. He's the first among the nations, but he shall be last until he perishes. So although the Amalekites and Amalek were first, they were strong, they actually are in last place until ultimately they're destroyed. So we have this prophecy about the Amalekites and Amalek the king. And then he looked up to the Kenites or the Canaanites, depending on what your translation says, He says, firm is your dwelling place, but your nest is set in a rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Asher carries you away? So again, we have this prophecy that speaks about the destruction of the Kenites. Asher, in most scholarly understanding, is the Assyrians. So that was a city in Assyria. Now, you guys remember... We talked about the Assyrians, right? How they conquered the 10 northern tribes as we were setting the stage for the book of Esther. And so he's saying, listen, right now you're dwelling securely. You're in your nests until Asher, until the Assyrians come and take you away captive. And so the Assyrians were brutal and they were kind of in the strength of their kingdom about the 8th century BC. And then finally, he says in verse 23, alas, you... Who shall live when God does this? The ship shall come from the coast of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Asher and afflict Eber, and so shall Amalek until he perishes. And so, again, it's a prophecy of destruction. And then we find that Balaam goes his way, and Balak goes his way. It's kind of the end of the story. Jesus is From the beginning, the great lie has been that God doesn't really love you, that he doesn't want to give you the best. Well, today, Pastor Daniel encouraged you to fight this lie. He reminded you that choosing not to cut corners is a good thing. Even if it takes you longer to get ahead, it's worth it to do things God's way. You learn that God will take care of you when you follow his path. He's not holding out on you. He wants you to have good things. I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to know that you did it though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D, 
to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. And my team, we want to share some stuff with you. So don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel will begin his conclusion, his series called Wilderness. After 38 years of wandering the desert, the Israelites are on the brink of entering the Promised Land. Pastor Daniel will share that while the rulers of the surrounding area want to find a way to defeat the children of Israel, the power to destroy them is internal, not external. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.